0: Welcome to episode 60 of No Crying in Baseball, the love me non-tender deadline episode. Let's go with
1: that. My name is Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hey, it's been a good day so far. We got to go shopping in our PJs, do shots at Farmer's Market, and I even gotten in a, a mimosa afterwards at the pet food store.
0: And I thought I was doing well with a yep. with thin mint latte and cheese grits, but I think you won the day. We are going to acknowledge, we'd like to acknowledge a very important baseball player in American history. George Herbert Walker Bush was the captain of the Yale baseball team in 1948. He played first
1: base and he played in the first two college World Series. And we're recognizing him because he passed on yesterday. And as some of you might know, he was also president of the United States. That too. Although that did not get in the way, luckily, of his baseball passion. He kept an oiled mitt. In his Oval Office desk drawer. The reason why that oiled part is important, that means he was ready to go. He was ready to go p- play catch at a moment's notice. It was his way of sort of relieving a little bit of stress. He said that actually his favorite moment in the White House was when he had Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams come to visit him.
0: That is totally a benefit of being the president. You can invite whoever you want. You know, I'd like to meet, I'd like to meet Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams. We can do that, sir.
1: Yeah. And I think they like placed way higher than any foreign leader. That was the absolute moment. And for a guy who's met some pretty important guys, he actually had met Babe Ruth himself when he was on that Yale team that you mentioned. And it was like a week before Babe Ruth died or something like that. It was.
0: It was one of those World Series
1: events. Yep. Just before. So this guy has some good baseball cred. Even more we know that most presidents almost all presidents since Howard Taft matter of fact no William Howard Taft I miss one of those names well William done. Howard nice Taft since him <laughs> All the presidents have thrown out some sort of first pitch. In the early days, it was actually from the stands when they tossed them in. And then some of the presidents did the, you know, what you do when you have a ceremonial first pitch person who can't really play baseball and they get a little bit closer to the plate than you're supposed to. But George H.W. Bush is the one and only president, or maybe just the first one, actually. I should have looked after this. No, he's who, the threw, first one. who threw from the mound. From the mound to the plate. The catcher was a little bit in front of the plate. So it came in, I think, inside and high. But Bush said, and I quote, he caught it before it started breaking. (laughs) So it probably would have been a strike if he had if he had stepped back a little bit. So the only president who has not thrown out a first pitch as of yet is our current president. And there's a lot of questions about why that is. I think the Nationals were willing to have him last year and he declined for certain reasons. We're just going to leave that out there. Let's see if our current president ends up doing a first pitch someday.
0: For those of you not here in your nation's capital and the local area, you will note that the first pitch the president threw out was always at the Baltimore Orioles Park, Camden Yards, for the longest time because that was the closest major league park. And now that the Nationals are way closer to the White House, that's the first pitch that the the presidents are usually invited to throw
1: these days. And one one more thing about the current president, even though he hasn't done it for the Nationals or the O's, 10 years ago. So he's capable of doing it because 10 years ago in 06, and I I kind of hate to say this, he actually did it at Fenway Park. Fenway? Yeah.
0: The New York guy threw out the first pitch at Fenway. Yeah, go figure.
1: It was for a Jimmy Fun thing. And I, I hear that it was actually a good pitch. So this is another president who could perhaps do it from the mound if he'd get out there. It's for charity. I'll give him props for that.
0: Today on the show, we're going to talk about Brody Van Wagenen, who is the new manager of the Mets. He, he was the one who came into it from being a player agent. So there's some some interesting deals happening that may be, may be related to how to his background. Um, we're going to have a vocabulary lesson. We're going to talk about the non-tender deadline and what the heck that means. We're going to tell you about our White Sox and Reds boyfriends. And we're gonna tell you about the good and the ugly for girls and women in some other sports, specifically
1: basketball and football. Let's talk about Brody. And I'm gonna c- kind of try to get you to talk about it because I have all these words together that I'm gonna <laughs> put out there. And I'm gonna ask you to make some sense out of it for me, dear Patty, because one episode ago, maybe two or three, several episodes ago at some point, you mentioned the new Mets general manager, Brody, and you you just pronounced his name. I think and it's I'm Van not, Wagenen. That sounds – I'll go with that. Van Wagenen. And how he used to be a former agent, and now he's a manager, and whether that's going to be some sort of conflict of interest, especially because he had been managing DeGrom, so there was a little bit of familiarity there. Well, he's also got some other ties for people who are now coming to the Mets. This past week, there was a deal between the Mets and the Mariners with Cano, who is my actual former boyfriend before he got busted for drugs. So remember, he missed 80 games last year because he was suspended for PED masking substance. He went to the Mariners for a boatload of money. So this agent, Van Wagenen, had had negotiated a 10-year... million contract with the Mariners, which he is halfway through. So that means there's $120 million five years still hanging there. And in order to get traded to the Mets, Cano had to waive his non-trade clause. So he could have said, no, I want to stay with the Mariners for five more years. But he didn't. So he and this big bill and $20 million to offset the bill, actually, is going to the Mets along with a hot young closer, Edwin Diaz, who seems to be the, the diamond in this deal because he's still so young that he's on a low salary. He's only at 571000 until 2020 when he becomes a free agent and things will start to balloon. So it looks like the Mets are getting a pretty good deal in getting this young guy, having some financial aid with the, with the Cano deal. And they're losing Jay Bruce, which is a big prize, and two relievers and two prospects. So my question to you, Patty, is, is there anything fishy here? Is this just a lot of words that I said that sound maybe interesting together for some people? Or is it weird?
0: Well, a couple of things. I totally missed Jay Bruce going back to the Mets because he was with the Cleveland team as they went into the playoffs. So what the heck is up with that? I don't know. So I, I totally missed that one. I apologize. I apologize. Another thing to note is when Potty Mouth described the trade, she talked about $20 million going along to offset the deal. If a player has a specific contract and then they get traded, what he is owed from that contract doesn't go away. So one of the things that gets negotiated is who's going to pay that part. Is it going to be the team that's trading him away or the team that's accepting him? So there's that's one of the places where there is some bargaining that goes on. I don't know that there's anything fishy going on, but I think there's a relationship thing that, that, that probably smoothed the way for Cano coming. If they have a pre-existing relationship, that probably makes it a friendlier place for him to land. It's not uncommon for a new general manager to want to bring in players and also staff. That he well I want to say he or she, but that, that doesn't work so here nice. would be that so he nice. is familiar with. So players that, that he's worked with or coaches that he likes, they'll bring them on. So it, it's a little questionable because he did in fact represent the interests of this particular player, but it's not unusual for a manager to bring on people that they're associated with in the past.
1: I think it's going to be interesting for us to watch both the Mariners and the Mets at this point, to see how Van Wagner now interacts with a couple of his former agents, clients, right? He had a couple, he a couple of Mets players he represented before, sure. And now tacking on Cano, which is a big name. And the Mariners, and we talked about last week with them getting rid of, of Big Maple, of, of Paxton, the pitcher to the Yankees. So they just freed up a bunch of money between Paxton and Cano so where are the Mar- Mariners going I was so rooting for them last year to get that damn wild card spot away from the Yankees and it didn't work out maybe they can pull it off this year with a little bit of strategy. it could
0: be yep yeah. you know all of these teams I hope they have a longer term strategy in place. If we're freeing up this money they have an idea of where that money is going to go. I'm not sure who they're gonna they're gonna pull up but I'm sure they know they have a, they have a longer term plan in mind. Today's vocabulary lesson is the non-tender deadline. This past Friday was the non-tender deadline. This was the day by which the players who aren't yet available for free agency have to be offered a contract or tendered a contract by the team they are currently with. This doesn't mean they've agreed upon a salary for the next year, but it means the team has indicated we want to keep you on contract for the next year. So if you've seen the movies where there's a deal taking place, someone's buying something really expensive or offering somebody a job, and they write a number on a piece of paper and they turn it over and they slide it over to the other person and they kind of peek at it and they go, oh, in surprise or dismay or whatever it is, that's what happens at the non-tender deadline. It's just saying, we're going to pass these pieces of paper back and forth soon. We've talked in previous episodes about arbitration. This is what if a, if a player is arbitration eligible, that means they've played for long enough that they get to help negotiate. They can negotiate their salary. That's what's happening here. So a, a team has said, we want to keep you. We are going to extend a contract with you. We're going, to, we're going to tender a contract offered to you. If they don't do that, if they are non-tendered, if they don't tender a contract, they have cut loose that player. Last week, we talked about free agency, how you have to be part of a team, play professionally for a certain number of years before you can be a free agent. This is the other way you get to be a free agent. If your team does not tender a contract to you, you immediately become a free agent. That just happened to my old boyfriend, Jonathan Scope, and a boyfriend that we were going to have a smackdown about for the Reds, Billy Hamilton. So close. Some other people also were the verb is non-tendered, which I think is kind of a clumsy way of saying they weren't offered a contract. But that's basically what happened. They were cut loose, and they are now free agency, they are now free agents earlier than they would have been had they worked continuously for a ball club. If the team and the player where there is a tendered contract, if they do pass these numbers back and forth, here's what I want, here's what we're willing to give you, They can then come to an agreement. Their agents will negotiate with the team structure and figure out a salary. If they can't do that, then it goes to arbitration, mediation, and a mediator will decide, here's the salary we think you should get based on whatever we decide is what we're basing it on. That almost never happens. Usually, they're able to work out in in this whole sliding the piece of paper across the desk part. And that's what's happening with most players. But a few of them, like Scope and Hamilton, were non-tendered at the deadline. They're now free agents.
1: And we'll be doing that free agent watch this year like we did last year because some wacky things happened last year. So let's see what happens to these guys.
0: So the boyfriends that we're picking, we're picking early on, right? So there still could be trades. We could lose some of these guys. A lot of the boyfriends that we pick are pretty young. So there might be hot prospects to to be involved in trades. But for right now, we're going to pick these guys and we're going to stick with them. So we're starting with the White Sox.
1: I really feel like my boyfriends that I'm talking about today are going to stick with their teams. They're young. They're both a little bit the future of the team. And I'm putting that out there right now. So we'll see what happens in a few weeks. But I'm hopeful that Yomar Sanchez is going to stay with the White Sox because it just seemed like a perfect pick for me. So we have a great White Sox friend, Patrick. Huge shout out to Patrick, who I asked for a pick before he took off for New Orleans and I didn't get it. And so then I texted him and he was already down there and having a good time. And he took out. A little bit. Well, Pause. He's supposed to be at a conference. Oh, yes, yeah. He's at a
0: conference. I'm sure he's learning and participating in big, important conversations.
1: Exactly. And he, along with this text, I got a photo of him holding a beverage in a, <laughs> in a certain conference facility, maybe. <laughs> but he sent me a couple of texts, and it was sort of like the figure out which one is for which of us. And it was pretty clear when I read this. Here it is verbatim. Yolmer Sanchez, slightly nutso utility infielder. Good, not great, but the kind of multi-positional player a good team needs to win. Also, a demented and fun clubhouse presence. Once doused himself with with Gatorade after a different player hit a walk-off. Sold. And I did a little research, and I found out that there's one thing in that statement that's wrong, and I'll get to that by the end. So he is totally utility. He's on third base mostly now, but he's played second base. He's played shortstop. And they're even talking about getting him used to the outfield so that he can be true utility. Makes me think of my guy, Kike Hernandez from the Dodgers, who I have to give up. So I need another clubhouse clown utility player. That that niches is, is empty in my roster right now. Sounds like it's not anymore. I don't think so. I think I, think I got it. This so... For three years, he played as Carlos Sanchez. Now, to understand this, you have to know his full name. His full name is Yolmer Carlos Javier Sanchez Yanes. When he was growing up, they called him Carlito, which is like you know diminutive, sweet. So I think that went into the Carlos, little Carlos. Yeah. Yeah, and and so he he kept the Carlos for a while, but he wasn't doing so great as Carlos. In 2014, 15, and 16, he was kind of a mediocre batter. And actually, in 2016, he got down to 208. Ouch. One more little thing about the name Carlos Sanchez from Venezuela is that it, it, it pulled my heartstrings because I had a student who was named Carlos Sanchez from Venezuela, and he was tragically killed this past summer. He was hit on a scooter in the city in DC. Oh, my God. Yeah, pretty oh. horrific. And uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And he was a dancer, and the Latin dance competition just had this big spotlight on his life. And so to see that name again, I thought, all right, there's another sign. I got to pick this guy from my roster. When he changed to Yolmer in 2017, however, His luck changed. He said it's a new year, new expectations. He played third base more. He had been doing more second base before then, and his average went up. His patience had increased, so he was taking more walks. And he's brought his average up from 208 to 267. So in 18, it, it slipped a little bit more. I'm still going to hope that for 19, it's better. Because even though in 18, it slipped, it was down to 242, he was still the number five war wins against replacement guy for the Reds. when, inst- I mean, for the White Sox shit. I'm almost on the other team. For the White Sox. And we're talking White Sox here. So maybe that's not the the, the <laughs> Damning utmost... with faint praise. Look there, at you there go. There you go. It, and notably, it was behind the two boyfriend. Friends that we picked last year. So we did some good picking last year. He's known as the clubhouse clown. He goofs around with our two boyfriends from last year, yours, Tim Anderson, and mine, Yuan Mankata. And they goof around together so much that the manager, Rick Renteria, calls them, they said, that trio, they're like puppies. (laughs) So that's an adorable image. And we love puppies. And here comes the error from Patrick. He did not douse himself with Gatorade once. He did it twice. Both Even in, better. <laughs> both in May and in September, both after walk-offs. I don't know if they were the only White Sox walk-offs. I didn't look into those details. But the image of him running out of the dugout and Picking up that huge cooler and dumping it over his own head is pretty damn cute. He also has been known to sing Bruno Mars covers, <laughs> to put on Mickey Mouse ears, to put on the catcher's gear, even though he doesn't play catcher, just to sort of screw around. He photobombs. Somebody called him the nonstop noise machine. But it's that kind of energy, I think, that's going to bring the, the spirits up of this team he spent one day, along with two of the pitchers, working for United Airlines because they're the sponsors of the White Sox. And he did every job from calling the people at the gate to, to line up for boarding the plane to actually being out there on the on the tar- tarmac, the is tarmac. There, yeah, with those flashy thingies uh, waving in the planes. That scares the them. hell yeah.
0: out of me. Thank you for that. I'm never flying United again, at least not into Chicago. So that's my guy. So- I had a boyfriend sort of inflicted upon me as, as a, a byproduct of this text you had with our pal Patrick. I did not ask for a, a boyfriend recommendation. So I was busily doing my own research. And then I found out that I was set up on a blind date. Mm-hmm. And I could have said no. I could have turned down the blind date. But I started looking at this guy. and I thought, OK, yeah, our friend knows me well. This is the right guy for me. So my blind date boyfriend for the White Sox is Daniel Palka, who's a right fielder. He's 27 years old. He is sort of a surprise power hitter for the White Sox. He was drafted in the third round of 2013 by the Diamondbacks, went to the Twins in 2015, and then the White Sox picked him up off of waivers in 2017. So his debut game with the White Sox was this past April, this season, 2018. It was not impressive. His first two games, he went 0 for 8 thinking, well, he was doing well in the minors. What the heck has happened here? And by the way, the minor league games he played in fairly recently were the ones in Rochester. And I've been there, so I felt good about that. So I'm like, yeah, I've been spot. His third game, however, he went four for five with a home run, becoming the first White Sox player since 1950 to go four for five in one of his th- first three major league games. There is a stat for everything. He's also the first White Sox player since Frank Robinson to hit three triples in his first 20 games. That's especially notable because Daniel Palka is not built for speed. And usually triples are scored because you've hit it well into a place, you know, hit them where they ain't and all of that. But you've run it out. You have stretched a double. Not that you've, you know, that it's you see a triple coming. You've usually stretched a double. The fact that he has scored, he threw he scored three triples in his first 20 games is kind of impressive for this guy. More about his athleticism in a minute. So he ended the season with four pinch hit home runs, which is a White Sox record and an American League rookie record, which is pretty stupendous. He actually had one third place vote for rookie of the year. When the baseball writers vote for these awards, you rank them. And he actually got a vote in third place. So that's kind of cool. So somebody appreciates the sluggers out there. He, because he was often a pinch hitter, he played later in the game. So he has amazing stats for ninth inning hitting, including six ninth inning home runs, which tied in the league, Giancarlo Stanton, Jason Kipnis, and a couple other guys. So that's pretty impressive for the new guy, the rookie on the White Sox. He finished the season with the team-leaning 27 home runs. So this guy's a power hitter. His average wasn't fantastic, but he hit, he hit for power. He's also kind of a big lug, which is why I think he was set up with me at, for a <laughs> blind date. Because, I mean, I think that his big lugness is – I think he's smarter than he comes off. I think he's doing this on purpose. I hope so. But in interviews, when you get that ridiculous question – you just hit a home run. What were you thinking of? What was your approach to the plate? What was going on in your mind? He responds, well, I was trying to hit a home run. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel Palco. He also lies with exact figures, which is in fact, as you probably know, near and dear to my heart. If you're going to make shit up, make it up super, super impressively. He has had minor league teammates going he has had members of the press going that he actually played in the 2019 McDonald's All-American High School basketball game. And he didn't? Well, Wikipedia said he did.
1: Oh. Right? And Wikipedia, Wikipedia, as we
0: know, must be true. He All historical records show he did not play basketball in high school. They show he did not play basketball in college. So how the heck, right? So it turns out that this rumor got spread to the press, and he had a very long interview with a major newspaper. Where they're asking, "Well, tell me about how you got recruited for this game." And you know, Wikipedia shows you played for twelve minutes and you scored two two free throws and all of this. And he went on and on. He explained very specifically how all this happened. And then he walked away. And then he came back and said to the journalist, "You can't print that," you know. And the journalist said, "Why?" And he said because I made all of it up. He went in and he edited the Wikipedia page for McDonald's All-American High School Basketball Game in 2010 and inserted stats in there for himself, and they may still be there. He did not play in that game. But he's a kind of fun-loving guy, and he trash talks a lot with his teammates, especially my now former, I'll miss you, Tim Anderson boyfriend, who was in fact A basketball player for a long time and is built more like a basketball player. Daniel Palka is not built like a basketball player. Oh no, I can totally take Tim Anderson anytime he wants one on one. I totally, I've totally got this. And Tim Anderson says, Tim Anderson says, um, no, 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 he doesn't. But they haven't played yet, so we don't know.
1: I think it's going to be fun to watch these guys and the spirit that they bring to the White House because that's the White House. Oh, I like that. Oh, if only they were in the White House, it would be a lot more fun there. (laughs) Oh man, all right, rewind (laughs) White Sox (laughs) because. That that snarky response to the press, um, my guy, Sanchez, he was asked, what do you bring with you onto the field? And he said, <laughs> my body. Like, That's right. What are you <laughs> yeah, asking me? Right. This you is hitting? not a
0: translation issue. This is you're asking me a clown question. Oh, I brought Bryce Harper into it. Look at that.
1: When we go to the National League, we go to the Reds. The Reds. We spent a lot of time last year talking about how our Reds boyfriends, Votto and, and Scooter. Scooter. I'm going to miss Scooter so much. Just saying the word Scooter. Right? Yeah, we, we kind of felt like they were the team. But turns out, now that we're forced to look around, there are actually other guys who hold a lot of promise. I had a hard time because first, Jose Peraza, 24-year-old shortstop, jumped out at me. But I just talked about another Venezuelan infielder. And here we have another Venezuelan infielder who's played shortstop and second base and outfield. So I thought I would try to sort of broaden my scope a little bit. And the first name that jumped out to me from the Reds was actually Brandon Dixon because he robbed Sanchez of a home run. And I thought that would be a great tie-in because I just talked about Sanchez and this home run that he almost hit. Dixon, did almost the typical robbing of the home run it was going over the wall dixon jumps up he catches the ball in his mitt and then he loses the mitt the mitt falls off his hand but the ball goes onto the field so it's in play he barehands the ball throws it in and held them to one run and it would have been like a three run home run off of sanchez i thought that was a great relationship turns out Dixon's average is under 200, and I am not making that mistake again because that tanked me last year as much as I loved Sean Rodriguez of the Pirates. I'm so happy to see you have standards. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really trying. Then then I looked at Billy Hamilton, and it was on Friday as I was looking at him that he did that whole non-tender. non Non-tend- yeah, he, that- he was non-tendered. It's a new verb. I don't like it, but it's non-tendered. I thought maybe it's a good time to look at a catcher. I looked at Tucker Barnhart, and his Twitter was all full of this MMA and football stuff. And And, and I thought, what would Patty say? She would say, this is not the guy you're going to hang out at the bar with, and she would be right. So I go back to the Venezuelan infielder who came from the Dodgers, and he was brought up to the Dodgers in 2015. Well, no, no, he came from the Dodgers in 2015. I'm not sure when he was brought up, but I think he went from the Braves to the Dodgers. That's right. And then from the Dodgers to the Reds. He didn't start for the Reds until the middle of 17, when, when your friend, Cozart, went off with his donkey to the Angels, which go back to past episodes. Rode off into the sunset on the donkey or near the donkey, as the case may be. And to have that shortstop position open is a pretty key thing. And those are some big shoes to fill. He was a little shaky at the start on the glove, a little bit of criticism there, but really hot at the plate and showing a lot of capacity for improvement. So I'm hanging in there with Peraza because I feel like his fielding is going to improve. He was hitting 288 last year and he went up to 14 home runs, which doesn't sound like a lot, but he said before then he'd only be getting two or three. So I think he's making some adjustments. He's improving. He said himself that his goal is to hit 300 for 2018. As far as character goes, he seems to be that funny, sort of quirky little bit, have, have that little bit of character in him, which I always like. He likes to sing. So I saw this interview for, with our friends from La Vida Baseball of him where he's singing his favorite type of Venezuelan music, maybe not so well. But he likes to sing. He sings the national anthem and he's working really hard as English. And even though it's, he's still struggling with it, He, I saw an interview with him in English. So it's good that he has this baseball thing because he's not going to make it as a singer. But I like that kind of little bit of extra enthusiasm. And, you know, I am looking for that teaching baseball players to speak English job because I could that might be my second career there. You would be so awesome at that. I, I think I need to look into that. So we both struggled with this when we were
0: at Nats Park and the Reds were in town, and we saw this guy Suarez come up to bat, and the announcer kept saying, Eugenio Suarez. And we were looking at it saying, it's Eugenio Suarez, isn't it? I mean, I my Spanish is piss poor, but it didn't look right to me. But they kept saying, Eugenio. Like, okay. And then sure enough, I did some research into who's going to be my new Reds boyfriend, at, and they had a very helpful pronunciation guide. Eugenio Suarez it is. He plays third base for the Reds and he's 27 year old. 27 years old and guess what? He's a Venezuelan infielder. Hey, we have a trend. We have such a theme going today. Eugenio was signed by the Tigers in 2008. So he was signed as a teenager in Venezuela and he played in the Venezuelan leagues for the next couple of years. Again, these are the leagues that So he was signed by the Tigers. So the Tigers place him in these leagues. So they're sort of like Major League Baseball feeder leagues that we're talking about when we say this particular summer Venezuelan league. He was traded to the Reds in December of 2014. He received – we learned about a new boyfriend award. In 2017, he received a Cincinnati-specific award voted by the Cincinnati chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America. It's called the Joe Nuxhall Good Guy Award. I'm thinking, okay, I want a good guy. Part of being a good guy, apparently, is developing good relationships with the press. That's why the press votes you into this honor. Fun fact, it was named after this guy Joe Nuxhall, who in 1944 was the youngest pitcher to ever take the mound in Major League Baseball. He was not yet 16 years old. That's so hard to imagine. His debut was in the ninth inning of a game in 1944 as a not-quite-16-year-old, and it said that two, two weeks before he was pitching to junior high players.
1: That's crazy. right? Has Isn't that a nuts? Good guy, though?
0: But apparently he made friends with the press, and so this award is named after him. So we have a new boyfriend award, at least for our Cincinnati-specific boyfriends. Now, Eugenio was a shortstop who has been moved to third base, and apparently his defense is so sexy that a lot of sports writers in Cincinnati were really quite ticked that he didn't get a gold glove. And they all said, you know, we love Nolan Arenado, but come on. And they were kind of—they were putting up his stats next to Arenado, saying, "You know, really, he, this is a good guy." He was so good in in this in this year that he w- he made the All Star team this year for the very first time, and at a smaller scale, he was the Reds' 2018 MVP. He had 34 home runs on the year and 104 RBIs, which is kind of great. And there was a piece where he and Scooter—I miss you, Scooter—because they both had really high RBI rates they made a point of saying, now that's because our teammates kept getting on base. It's a good stat for us, but we wouldn't have this if our teammates weren't so good that they kept getting on base. You don't always hear that. So it was nice that they they have this sort of generous spirit saying, yeah, that's it's cool that it shows up in my column, but it's because of them that it does. He was one of the players that went on the tour of Japan that, that Potty Mouth has been telling uh, telling us about over the past couple of episodes. And he brought his family with him, his wife Genesis and their baby girl, Nicole. And there were a lot of videos of talking about how excited he was to go to Japan and then later to be in Japan, how cool the different ballparks were. He never said Zoom Zoom out loud. I was looking for that. Dang. But he was thinking the fans are so invested in the game. They're singing. They're dancing. They know the game. They know the players who are going to be there. They're all in. I don't know if he was comparing that to Cincinnati. I'm hoping it was like also They are very they're, they're terrific fans. They had a chance to visit a kimono shop where one would go for a ceremonial kimono for, say, a wedding or some other you know, important event. And they fitted, they fitted um, Eugenio and his wife, Nicole, and the baby in kimonos and took a very beautiful stylized picture of them. And he said his favorite part was when he came out of the dressing room, they handed him a sword. Ooh, that's so that's nice. kind of fun. He also messes with umpires a little bit. There was a foul ball that went out near the third baseline which he chased to uh, to the stands. And it's clear on TV that he missed the ball, but kind of bounced around a little bit. And then he came up holding a mitt with the ball in it. And he's looking at the, at the umpires like, I caught this. I caught this. And it was clear that he didn't. He did not get away with it, but he was kind of hilarious about the whole thing. So I appreciate that, you know, that he sort of messes, you know, when he knows it's easy. He's not cheating. It's clearly he's fooling around. So I like that. The other thing about Eugenio Suarez is that he's under contract with the Reds to 2024. So he got what is considered the largest, co- new newer contract with the Reds to sort of, to cement, these are the guys who are going to be the core of our team as we rebuild from the basement. So he's there till 2024. I think Vado, they've got till 2021. So they've got a couple years with these guys at the corners. I'm hoping that Peraza is, you know, the shortstop for years to come. So, they may be solidifying an infield that will kind of help them move forward. On to women in other sports. If you pay attention to old people's social media, like Facebook, like we do, being women of a certain age, you will have seen this story. Steph Curry. Okay, so Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. That would be basketball. As a Clevelander, I am programmed to not like the Warriors, right? Because what do we do in professional sports? We hold grudges. And Steph Curry just won me over and I'm a little ticked about it, but I'm really happy that he did. Because here's how he did it. So Steph Curry received a letter from nine-year-old Riley Morrison, who's a little girl basketball player, who said, hey, I want to wear your shoes that you and Under Armour put out, the Curry Fives. They're not available in my size. They list adult sizes and they list boys sizes. My feet are smaller. There are no girls sizes. What are you going to do about it? You have a daughter. You have run girls basketball camps. You have talked about wanting your daughter to grow up in an inclusive sporting environment. What the heck, Steph Curry? I'm a fan of yours. What are you going to do about it? And there was kind of radio silence for a couple of days. And then two days later, he came back with a handwritten note that of course got posted to Twitter saying, I spent the last two days talking to Under Armour, figuring out how to solve this problem, which was kind of awesome. They have fixed it. They have resized the shoes. They have made the shoes available in a wider range of sizes. They don't, they don't identify them as specifically boys' shoes anymore. They realized that that was a problem, and they fixed it. He sent her Curry 5s, and he promised to send her the Curry 6s, which are coming out soon. And he said... Keep International Women's Day open. We're going to invite you to the home game we're having, and we, we've got some special events, and I want you to be there. So freaking awesome. Yeah. Good on you, Steph Curry, and thank you for paying attention and, and putting your your power and your, notori- and your celebrity and your money and all the stuff behind things that, that you and your fans believe in.
1: And this does connect to baseball because we know and we follow a lot of girls' baseball teams that are right now struggling and, and plotting on there. We have in D.C. we have D.C. girls' baseball, Boston Slammers, L.A. Monarchs. There are professional baseball teams in all of those cities that could outfit these girls. Why not? Follow in Steph Curry's footsteps.
0: Why not? And we talk about these $300 million contracts. You know what? Just a teeny tiny 1% of one of those would fund girls' leagues all over the country. Think about that. Let's move to football. Yuck. Yuck, indeed. What The Washington football team claimed a linebacker named Reuben Foster off of waivers. To quote why this is a problem... Reuben Foster has been arrested three times in 2018, was suspended for two games to begin the NFL season, less than 72 hours after being arrested on domestic violence charges and waived. A team claimed him on waivers. That team was the Washington football team.
1: Which has so much against them to start off with that we can't even say their fucking name. How tone deaf can you possibly be to think this is a good idea?
0: He's currently suspended. He's currently under investigation. Really, you couldn't wait to see what happens. You're So they got there's a ton of backlash, horrible, horrible backlash. The Washington Post had a very good article about how the the owner of the team, Daniel Snyder, is absolutely tone deaf to his fan base. Part of it is not being willing to change the team's name. And part of it is things like this. This is a progressive part of the country. We tend to think we care about women here. We are kind of anti-criminals as football players on our home team
1: around here. Pay a Tension. Yeah, and you know what I saw was that uh, the the Washington team could have gone for Colin Kaepernick, and you know, and the in the tweet that I saw was if Colin Kaepernick had beat a woman instead of taking a knee, he could be playing for the Washington team. Oh hell, yeah! I didn't see it, man.
0: I would be one back to football if the Washington football team w- would 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 put in Colin Kaepernick. Absolutely, I'd be like, okay, things are changing. Mm-hmm. I'm totally into football again. Oh my god. So yeah, so it's it's throughout professional sports and I'm I'm sad to see it. I'm hoping things will get better. In the coming week, we got some more boyfriends to research. This time, the Giants and the Tigers are next in line as we hang out at the lower ends numerically. We're going to stop calling it bottom of the barrel because, you know, that's not pleasant.
1: We're kind of getting up to lower mid barrel at this point. Lower mid barrel, absolutely. Got any other plans for this week? So this week, um, Hanukkah is here. We'll be frying some more luckies and lighting some candles. That's that's pretty much it. That's a good thing. Oh, and hey, I'm taking Potty Mouth with me to
0: a lecture here locally, which is about sports, race, and law. So if that turns out to be a cool thing, we will report back on that. I betcha. I betcha. So please listen to us. Please tell your friends about us. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe and have your friends subscribe. And until next week, say goodnight, potty mouth. Goodnight, potty mouth.